For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Hello, everyone. Can you hear me? So uh, I'm happy to introduce our speaker tonight, Co. Carol Lorson. She has uh, spoken before, but uh, some of you may not know her. She's uh, she's coming to us from Cleveland, but she's on the board of Ancient Dragon, uh, and she's also the assistant, one of the assistant directors at Ancient Dragons End Gate. She has extensive practice experience. She did a practice period at Tassajara and has practiced a lot at Green Gulch as well as here. So uh, thank you very much, Co. For offering the talk this evening. Good evening. Um, as is traditional, I'd like to begin by offering gratitude, um, gratitude to Tigan for asking um, me to give a talk tonight uh, to the Sangha for showing up because there's no talk without uh, a, someone to receive. Um, I'd like to teach my, thank my um, teacher who I took the precepts with was his attention, Rev Anderson. And I'd also like to thank my husband who has taken care of our 17 month old. Um, so I could prepare and also um, give this talk. Um, one of the things I've really enjoyed about being asked to give these two talks is that it makes me listen to the, um, ongoing talks Monday nights and Sunday mornings as a kind of extended conversation. Um, extended conversations is um, pretty strong in our tradition as we heard last Sunday, uh, just as yesterday, where a Zen teacher will comment on something that was written a hundred years ago. So that's a real long form conversation. And here it extends over weeks rather than just as a back and forth. So I'd like to, I'll be, pulling out some some pieces from the most recent Dharma talks, um, which I found inspiring and also uh, resonate with what I was wanting to talk about um, tonight. Um, the last time um, I spoke, I, I spoke about welcoming whatever arises in Zazen to um, be kind to our stories, not to, to think that we have good thoughts or bad thoughts, but just to welcome whatever arises. Um, there was a piece that in uh, Jerry's talk of uh, Mary Oliver's poems that I just wanted to bring up that we shake with joy, we shake with grief. What a time they have, these two housed as they are in the same body. So as we welcome everything that comes into our mind, heart, um, all thoughts, all feelings, and all the stories, the hypothesis is that if you treat them with care, this, our stories will transform in beneficial ways. Of course, that's not the whole story. It doesn't just magically transform. And um, I wanted to hold up uh, a much beloved quote from Suzuki Roshi, the founder of our tradition in Japan in, in America. While speaking to students, he said, each of you is perfect just the way you are, and you could use a little improvement. 
Um, so the previous talk was all about how we're perfect just as we are, that we just, whatever arises is just right for who we are. And yet we also need a little improvement. Um, he also said uh, during Zazen, you should leave your front and your back door open. Allow your thoughts to come and go. Just don't serve them tea. So while welcoming our thoughts, we don't have to believe our thoughts. We don't have to enhance, enlarge, justify, um, become self-righteous about our thoughts. We just watch them as they come in and then let them go as they will go. Also, during a talk here at Ancient Dragon back in 2010, um, Tension Reb Anderson told us to meet your thoughts and let them go. And we hear a lot of just let it go. Oh, let your thoughts go. Just let it. Nobody talks about how to do it. And also we forget that we need to meet our thoughts before we let them go. If, if, you, if you deny your thoughts or decide you're a person who doesn't have that kind of thought, then you start suppressing and they get squirrely in there and they come out in ways that are, may, not, may not be the way you would like them to come out. So in that instruction, as you allow the thoughts to rise and wash them and meet them, the, the part of your mind that can watch and develop and practice kindness begins to develop just automatically. And that is a way that we can develop big mind and grandmother mind, just working with whatever comes up in us naturally. When you develop the mind that can welcome whatever thought arises, whatever story arises, the mind becomes like a grandmother. And to the grandmother or the grandparent, all of their children are perfect, right? They're just perfect. You just love them. And you've got to socialize the little creeps, you know, because, you know, you don't want your grandkids are going to be hitting each other. They're going to be biting. They're going to be, you know, and they need a little improvement and they need a little improvement for their benefit, for the benefit of all beings. So you develop this grandmother mind. And so tonight I want to talk about how we know what is improvement. Because our karmic consciousness, our, our, our conditioned mind will tell us all sorts of things for improvement. You could lose a little weight, maybe you could get a better job. So what do we mean by you could, need, you could use a little improvement? And how do we discern that wisdom voice from all of the karmic chatter that we have? Well, one thing we can do, well, there's two paths as I see it right now. There's the outward path of figuring out what the wisdom voice is, and there's the inward path. So with the outward path, we can rely on wisdom traditions, um, things that have stood the test of time, that have been threshed so that the chaff flows away and the grains remain. Um, and these are handed down through traditions. Um, in our tradition, for example, we have Song of the Jewel Mirror Samadhi. That is some wisdom that has stood the test of time, is much beloved. Um, and um, it tells us that if you want to conform to the ancient way, please ob 
observe the sages of former times. So we can align what we're doing with what we have seen done in traditional past times. So in, in meeting a tradition, you can come to it, either be born into it, or you can be drawn to it. Most of us here, I imagine, were drawn to Zen. We were not born in the Mahayana tradition. So then the question is, like, what called to you? Um, why, why, why are we here? Why are we, many of us Northern European folks, drawn to this very different tradition? and to this peculiar teaching of a man who came over from Japan to California in the late 50s um, to bring this dharma to us. One of the things that happens first, I think, is there's uh, an awakening of aspiration. Um, we see something, or we hear a story, or we meet someone, and we say, I, I want to be like that. There's something about that that... How do you do that? Um, Reb Anderson, in several talks that I've heard, says that he was drawn to Zen Buddhism because of he read the, the Hakuin story of Is It So? And I'll remind us of, of that story. Um, Hakuin was a priest, and he was a very upright priest, had disciples, was thought of in the community very highly for his integrity. And the beautiful daughter of a shopkeeper becomes pregnant, unmarried, as she becomes pregnant, and her family badgers her and badgers her for who's the father. And finally, she says, it's, it's the priest. And so the family goes and tells him what a horrible priest he is and how hypocritical he is. And his response is, oh, is, this, is that so? Um, when the child is born, they bring the child to him and say, he's yours, you take care of him. And so he somehow finds a way to feed this child. He takes care of him. He loves the child. And then a year later, the young woman can't stand it anymore and confesses, no, no, it wasn't him. It was the, the butcher's son. And the family comes back and says, oh my goodness, we're so sorry. We're sorry, sorry. What a wonderful, oh, you're an amazing man. What a great priest. And his response is, is that so? And Reb said when he heard that story, he said, how can I do that? And he, he heard of, of Suzuki Roshi and he went to Zen Center and he said the first time he saw Suzuki Roshi, he saw his feet. And in his mind rose the thought, I could learn something from these feet. These feet have something to tell me. And that's what I call a rising aspiration. It might not be rational, it, but it's this yearning, this, this draw, drawing forth. So we receive this aspiration. Uh, another way for aspiration can arise is um, through falling into an experience that you want to happen again. And I'm going to tell the story about when I was a little girl and I was at a little league picnic for my brothers. They had a little league picnic. They were doing a bunch of stuff that I was not interested in. So I went down with my Dixie cup 
to a little stream and I was catching minnows. And at some point, the minnows all went away because I had been thrashing about. And then I just sat quietly waiting for the minnows to return with my Dixie cup ready. And as I sat in silence, um, an animal I had never seen came out of the bank of a little hole, a little shadowed hole of the bank, went down and drank from the water, looked around and then just calmly went back. And for something in my little girl wisdom body, it woke up. And the world seemed transformed and it felt sacred. And there was something about the sitting in stillness and silence that penetrated me enough so that when I became older, um, I was drawn to the stillness and silence tradition. Um, The first form that I entered more formally was Quakerism. And then I've done some yogic studies and then about... 17, 18 years ago, I began studying Zen uh, more, more fully um, in many ways because Rev. Anderson came to Cleveland um, and, um, and gave a weekend talk, a weekend retreat, which, again, that woke that aspiration for me to, to enter this particular tradition. So... We feel this aspiration in us. And I want to say aspiration, um, the etymology of aspiration, um, the root means to breathe into or onto. So there's something about that spiritual breath that it comes upon us as we are breathed into or upon. And after the aspiration, oftentimes we find an intention. So the aspiration wakes us up and then we want to lean toward it. We want to um, to align with this particular aspiration. And intention has an etymological root of um, to stretch, to stretch with an effort. So it pulls you now towards a purpose or an aim. It gives you a, a direction to move in that way. Um, then when we commit to this intention um, and do it publicly, particularly, it's a vow. So for those of us wearing the Rakasu, we've taken our 16 vows. And um, so our tradition will help us. Our, I mean, Zen tradition is filled with vows. You know, beings are numberless. I vow to save them, save them for example. Um, and these precepts, give us guidance. Again, as we become stream enterers, we are guided along this channel that has been carved by our ancestors and all the practitioners um, in a certain way that help us move that way. Um, There's a, a Sanskrit term called sankalpa, is to make that intention and also samskaras. Samskaras is when you work a route over and over again and it becomes a groove. And if you have positive samskaras built with this intention or the sankalpa, it makes it easier and easier to work in the direction of improvement that 
has called, has called you. So we have these external supports. And then I'm also really intrigued by the internal um, pieces, the, the ways, the ways our this knowing can come upon us. Um, so in our day-to-day lives, often we're presented with problems that have no precedent or not that we know of. I mean, I suppose if someone accuses us of fathering a child, we now know to say, is that so? And um, move on. Although I doubt many of us could, could do that. Um, and um, so, but when we have our day-to-day questions of how to respond in alignment with our intentions. Uh, so, so how do you respond to a child who's biting you? Um, for example, if you lived with a 17-month-old who's starting a biting habit and, you know, it probably isn't a good idea to bite her back to let her know what biting feels like, um, but to, to just allow her to bite is not going to serve her and um, certainly isn't serving me. So there's, you, you've got to figure out, we've got to figure these things out. Um, how... It's been described that um, uh, regular folks in the world are are guided by karmic consciousness, by karma. Karma drives you. So I might bite her back because you know she bit me. I'll bite her. You know, so that can be the way to go. But we're also guided. But bodhisattvas, which many of us are. We have that intention. It's like, how do we live by our vows? How do we allow that to guide us? Um, so where does this, this wholesome impulse come from? And I'm going to take a little diversion into um, my idea of faith or my faith. Um, I have Faith. As a Quaker, um, we believe there is a that of God in everyone. And um, sometimes it's called the inward light. Um, and in Buddhism, many of us believe that we all each have Buddha nature. And George Fox told those who who he was with George Fox is considered the founder of Quakerism again. And the worship form is to sit in stillness and silence and listen for the promptings of spirit. So George Fox says that we're to, when we're acting in the world, we're to walk cheerfully over the earth, answering that of God in everyone. So recognizing that everyone has Buddha nature, everyone has, which he wouldn't put it that way. But for me, they, they, they line up pretty well. Um, what is it to talk to the Buddha? Um, when I went to a retreat with Thich Nhat Hanh, one of their practices was to, um, when, whenever we met someone, we, we would say, I bow to you, Buddha to be. So we were practicing talking to that Buddha in each of us um, that we are sure will wake up and just have that faith that that's will we'll wake up. So 
I continue this faith, even though I, I, there is plenty of evidence to the contrary. I've seen people that I don't see the Buddha nature of. Um, and I find it better, even if I'm wrong, I think it's better for me to act and enter the world as if everyone has profound goodness within at the core. Um, Last Monday, Howard quoted Dogen saying, whether Buddha is present or not present, I trust he is right under our feet. So to have that trust, to have that faith, that there is that awakened being that is of me or in me, or I don't know what the preposition is, but that helps guide me. That's that has an intention for me at the core of how I am to act in the world. Um, and then yesterday I was delighted that Stephen Hine explored the koan where Yunmen addressed his assembly saying, people all have a radiant light, but when they look for it, they can't see it amid the darkness. What is this radiant light? And of course, no one could answer. So Yunmen said, Monk's Hall, Buddha Hall, Refectory, and Main Gate, which for me means practice, so that we all have this inward light, as you know, the Quakers would say. I see it here in the Zen tradition, and the way to reach it is through practice, which is anchoring in that stillness and silence. So just sitting and meeting each thought with that loving care opens the mind of wisdom. So in Quakerism, we, we sit and we listen for the promptings of spirit. I, I mean, I love this. I love the old Quaker language um, or the still small voice within um, many people. That's one of the pieces of Quaker traditions that's migrated out. So we listen to this still small voice. And when I'm sitting in the Buddha hall, I translate it to um, the whispers of Prajnaparamita. What, what, what does Prajnaparamita, how does she want to move me and act through me? Um, so in the stillness and silence, when we can thin out that chatter, that, that self-clinging chatter, and, and it gets a little thinner, these bubbles, when we got the chatter going on and I want this and I want that, and this is how I like it. My preferences are, it's like this cap and these bubbles of wisdom that are, are at your core wanting to rise up. There's just no place to go. But as we allow them, there to be some little gaps, these little bubbles of, of, um, of wisdom can rise up for us and help guide us and, and, and direct how to act in the world. Um, so in this way, we carry all we need to discern the way forward that will bring us a little improvement. Um, and since we all have Buddha nature, thoughts such as I could learn something from these feet, have a chance to arise and 
because we have a practice of big mind and 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 listening with curiosity and care, we can start hearing these little thoughts and they feel different than the self-clinging thoughts. We can start discerning what, what draws us forward in the most, in the richest way. You know, go to Shanti Deva who says the way to find happiness is to serve others. So how do we serve others so that we all, rise in I don't know towards those Buddha worlds the the those crazy flowery things from the flower ornament sutra um and I have a little quote from um Zenju Earthland Manual about stillness and silence um she says just a couple lines in essence I am speaking of stillness of the mind and body as a different consciousness than that of our our everyday busy lives. There is a semi-altered state that opens your life and provides an expansion in such stillness. So our practice is creating the conditions in which this spaciousness, that this expansion um, can occur. So this is the big mind and the grandmother mind that shows us how to move forward. I'm getting end thoughts I said earlier, so I'm kind of trying to knit things together. But so we can act with a full capacity of the skills that we have right now for our skillful means. And then we can try it in the world, make mistakes, one mistake after another, come back to the stillness and silence, listen again because we're all imperfect with this. So we can take our imperfect intentions and capacities and keep returning to this inner perfection um, and listen both to the cries of the world and our own green little shoots of wisdom and try to bring them together. So thank you all so much for listening to this talk. And I welcome questions or any stories of um, people's own aspirations or intentions, um, if anyone would care to share those. Thank you all. Thank you so much, Ko. Um, Anybody who has comments or reflections or responses or questions for Ko, for all of us, please feel free. Okay, I'll start. Um, you had told a story about sitting by a creek when you were very young. How old were you? My brothers were in Little League, and they're um, two and four years older than me. I, I'm thinking I was six. Okay, and you, you mentioned that another animal came out of a hole and went down and drank. You didn't say what animal it was. Well, at the time, I didn't know. Right now, I think it's, it was either a weasel or a mink. Huh? It, was, it, was, it, was, it was kind of ferret-formed. It was this long, and, and I'd never seen anything like that um, in my vast experience of six years. Um, so it was unusual. I have a story um, that is similar in some ways. I was about four, and we were staying for a week 
we did this several years uh, by a lake in New Hampshire. And I some I don't I remember I remember this vividly later, but I somehow I was sitting by the side of the lake and just looking at the water and it was, it was dusk and it was just the lake was clear and and I was just sitting there and there was pine needles on the ground um, between me and the lake. I was right next to the lake though, and uh, I had what I later recognized was a samadhi experience. I don't, I don't think it consciously, intentionally brought forth any aspiration, but, and I didn't say anything about it to anyone. It was just, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> here this is. And, uh, but then years later, after I had been sitting zazen regularly for several years, I recalled that and how that was part of how it was that I was sitting zazen. So anyway, your story reminded me of that story. Yeah, it's sort of initiatory. And, and it's, I, I think it's, it holds up some of the shame of our feeling that we need to schedule our children all the time and give them something um, constructed to look at. <laughs> so, anybody else, any questions, comments, responses, stories, please feel free. Ed. Thank you very much, Co. I, I always enjoy the, the, com, the comparative religion model yeah. where you're discussing, because not, not many people in the Sangha have a Quaker background, I don't think. And, um, of course, it is such a fundamentally American practice in my mind. And, but it's also at the same time, it's very, um, the little that I know, it's, it's very spiritual and anti- um, what would I say, anti-commodity or non-commodity oriented. And in that sense has very similarities to this practice. Did you, would you maybe elaborate a little further regarding the, sim, the, the uh, similarities in your own experience between the two practices? Well, uh, uh, there are, uh, are two different types of Quakers. There's the birthright Quakers and the Quakers by convincement, as they call it. And uh, I, did, I was not born into a Quaker family. So I, I came to it in my 30s, actually, when my children were born and I wanted to have essentially a Sangha. <laughs> I wanted to have some community, which wasn't just a commercial or what are you going to do when you grow up um, sort of world. And one of the similarities or one of the things that draw me both to it, both because of the sitting practice of it, because what we do in worship, we'll sit in silence for an hour. And sometimes a message will rise in somebody. We have no paid ministry um, that, that we, we all care. So it's very egalitarian. Um, So there is that practice. Um, And then there's also the guiding principles, what would be, uh, a parallel to perhaps the 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 precepts um, that we call them testimonies, and it's the um, non harming, the not, do not kill, the that testimony of, of non harming, non killing, um, the testimony of simplicity, of integrity, of um, the speaking truth that that let your yay mean yay and your nay mean nay, that you're not 
to deviate from speaking truth. Um, so the, again, the, 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 it's, it's just remarkable to me that the similarities, even though George Fox, in, in, who started it in the 1600s in England, had no overlap with the foundations of Buddhism. But if you practice this stillness and um, really settling into what is the nature of right behavior, right order, you come up with the same things, um, which I find very heartening. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. And your emphasis on the idea of, of intention and the placement of intention as a as a centerpiece of any spiritual uh, sensibility is very, very vital, I think. And I appreciate thank your you. the mystery of intention. It is a mystery. And it's palpable, you know. Dylan, I see your hand. Hello, Co. I'm sorry if there's Hi, I'm sorry if there's background noise. I, I'm I know there's a setting to reduce it, but I don't know how to find it, so I apologize. It's better now than it was earlier. Okay. Um, I'm very clear now. Okay. So, uh, two comments. Uh, so you asked. The first one is that you asked about uh, an aspiration, uh, and. Uh, your talk, which was wonderful, by the way, um, helped me. So- yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your talk helped clarify for me that I think uh, an aspiration for me uh, now, is, I'm, I'm starting a new relationship and an aspiration for me is uh, <laughs> to, to let somebody care about me, you know? Um mm which I didn't know was going to be as big of a deal to me as it is. Mm. Uh, like, and that's why I'm, um, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm realizing that that's going to be a practice for me because I've, as this has been starting, I, I, you know, it's, it, it really has shown me how guarded I am really, you know, in a lot of ways and just to allow someone to, actually care and like get to know me and and like and still care about me after getting to know me um is uh you know um it's it's a very i'm realizing how how deep of a practice that that is for me uh so i wanted to thank you for your talk for helping kind of bring that into focus for me as one of my current practice realms and aspirations um actually before you want may i make a comment yeah. I, I think that one of the beautiful things about that is that there's something about a, an intention that arises as a surprise um, that makes it m- more true. I mean, it, it when it's it, it's it's not the of course I'm going to do this. Not either, uh, this is a good thing to do. I'm going to go ahead. But these surprise aspiration intentions, like, are beautiful. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, and the other the other comment I have is um, about that the um, quote from Tension about uh, those feet can teach me Zen. This is a funny piece of synchronicity to me because, and I'm I think I might I might be breaking a rule by sharing this, uh, but it's fine. So Tigan's here, so you can yell at me if he wants. Um, but the, <laughs> the when. <laughs> 
um, when I when I met with Tension at that, uh, I so I've, I've met him once, and it was at the uh, the retreat that I met you at. Mm-hmm. And and when I met with him, I asked him to tell me a story about Suzuki Roshi, and he told me the story that you just told. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and uh, and it was funny. So uh, he yeah, I asked him to tell me a story about Suzuki Roshi, and he told me the story that you just told me. And then he asked me, "Is that a story about Suzuki Roshi or me?" Like, <laughs> you know, I gave I gave him an answer, but I'll, I'll keep that to myself unless you can keep that. Yeah. Makes me say it, but so thank you. I just find that I find that synchronicity very interesting. How that yeah. happened. So I'm really grateful you're here. I'm so grateful that you invited me. I, you know what? If you broke a rule, I'm going to break a rule. If it is breaking a rule, I think you're allowed to talk about your own dokusans. I, I think you're allowed to reveal that. Um, so I, the questions um, from last Monday, um, I just listened to the recording. I wasn't available last Monday to listen in person, but I listened to the recording. And the, the discussions of the beings are numberless. I vowed to, to, to save them. And whether it's um, a contradiction to make a vow of something you couldn't possibly do. Um, when I was I was ooching up to asking um, to receive the precepts from from Reb, he um, I had a dokusan with him, and I asked him, um, well, "Why would you make a vow for something you can't do?" Um, when I was talking about the four great vows and four bodhisattva vows and he just looked at me immediately and said, well, you don't do it alone. Um, and I just started crying. Um, so, yeah. Um, one of the, oh, I'm sorry. Hi. I think, thank you for this talk. Um, one of the things from last Monday that stuck was consider the ancient twisted karma of the other person. And I find that that brings up those surprising practices that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Insight. When you, when you stop feeling like this habitual center is the only perspective um, and you start again, creating this, this awareness that even ourself is not just centered here, that we're in each other, that we create and support one another. And so if I'm thinking about me and I'm not including you, I'm, I'm missing most of the story. <laughs> um, Perhaps we're complete. We always are, but you know we have to. Keep <laughs> at it. 